Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to the Gospel of Luke. Gospel of Luke, chapter 5. We're continuing our study today. And we're picking up in the story of Christ has just healed the paralytic. And you remember we, we spent a couple of sessions in that. And so we're going to continue in our, in our story today, reading in the Word of God uh, the following uh, that begins to take place after that scene. And so if you would, uh, look uh, in, let's begin our reading in verse 27 today. Luke chapter 5, verse 27. After these things, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, Follow me. So he left all, rose up, and followed him. Then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house. And there was a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. And their scribes and the Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. To repentance. Father, I pray this morning that you would take this small portion of Scripture. And Lord, I pray that you use it for your namesake. Lord, I pray that you be lifted high. I pray that you would draw many of folks to a point of repentance. Lord, I pray that you convict us believers to be better followers. Lord, I commit this service into your hands and ask that you just allow me to be a vessel used today by your grace and that you would speak to our hearts, encourage us, and Lord, ignite us to be passionate for the loss. And so, Lord, teach us today. May we listen with ears that hear. And we'll give you the praise, for we ask it in Jesus Christ's name, for His sake, amen. Um, the sermon today is entitled, Repentance and Following, the Forgotten Message of the Gospel. You know, you can go into countless churches today, you can turn on the television, and, and you can see preaching and hear preaching, and, and very rarely, even from some of the leading teachers and preachers of the Word today. Very rarely do you hear the word repentance ever even mentioned. Very seldom is there really a call to surrender life and follow after the life Christ has for you. We seem to have fashioned it to 
a quick prayer and somehow we popishly declare you saved and send you on your way. And that's the reality that a lot of churches today, and we call it easy believism, just repeat this. And again, when I say this, guys, I realize some of you did come to saving faith as a result of someone leading you in a prayer. And I'm not trying to negate that. But what I am trying to emphasize, that it's not found in the magic repeating of words, that salvation does not come because some pastor or a Sunday school teacher told you you were saved. Look through the pages of the New Testament and look at what the heart of the gospel message is and you will find repentance and follow me is a phrase that Christ used often. It's a call that the disciples, when they were commissioned to go and preach, they preached, believe, repent and believe, repent and believe. And yet, for some reason, we have a tendency to forsake these words in the preaching of the gospel today. So, let's look at this text and let's see what... um, what takes place in, in, in this situation, this circumstance. Uh, there is a theme, and I hate when we break it up into segments like this. You kind of lose the flow of the context. And so I want to encourage you as a student, go back and read this chapter, get the whole context, because there's one uh, overarching uh, context that Luke is wanting to convey here through, through all of these uh, uh, situations that have unfolded, the different accounts from the disciples being called to the leopard being cleansed to the paralytic being healed. And that is this. Jesus Christ is God. And these miracles attest to the fact that He and He alone is God. And so I don't want to lose that big picture, if you will, and Luke is very systematic in his writing. The Spirit of God has used Luke to paint this picture from the beginning of chapter 1, verse 1, to where we're at now. Jesus Christ is truly God. And so now we come to the story where he calls Levi. You probably know him better as Matthew. He's the one who penned the Gospel of Matthew. And so here we find uh, this encounter, and it's a powerful encounter, as the, I'm sure they always were, to actually v- visibly see Christ and to be called uh, there in the flesh, Christ calling you. I-, I can only dream what that was like. And so we look at the pages here and we see this, this unfold. After these things, verse 27, he went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he left all, rose up, and followed him. You know, we find out a couple of things at this point uh, on uh, Levi. And the first point I want to look at today is the call. The call. He says, follow me. But what about this guy, Levi? What do we know about him? What do we know about his position? The tax collector. Now, I'm sure if I mention to you today the IRS, we know good and well who the tax collectors are, don't we? Yes, the dreaded IRS. We know these guys were 
or, or, or the IRS of today uh, are a bunch of lightweights compared to the tax collectors of these days. So keep that in mind. In, in fact, uh, I, I love, this is one of the things I, I really enjoy about listening to John MacArthur and studying his commentaries and his books and writings. He is a historian. And so he's all about, and of course I'm sure it helps when you've got a staff of researchers. Anybody want to be a staff researcher for me? See me afterwards. <laughs> okay, thank you, sir. Somebody's going to have to check his facts, though, all right? <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> he has this you know, group of, of, of staffers that no doubt help him in his history, but he's dug out some interesting things and some great things in regards to the tax collector's position. And I want to share with you some of these things. Here's what he says in regards to the tax collector. Now, what about, tax, the, what about a tax gatherer? Well, in the view of the Jews, this was the scum of humanity. This was the dregs of all Israel. This was the lowest of the low. This was the traitor. The tax collector was seen as the traitor. And if you're asking the question, how deep will the Lord go? How low will He go? Who will he save? The answer is the worse. The worse. In fact, it must have been inconceivable to scribes and Pharisees that Jesus would ever save a tax gatherer, let alone make him an apostle. Unthinkable. What about the tax office? What was this business like? He goes on, he says the following. Here's how the system worked. Rome, obviously, ruled the world, and Israel was an an occupied country. The Romans' occupation involved a lot of things. It involved a military presence. It even involved pagan kings. The uh, Idumeans, such as Erod, Herod, Antipas... We've seen his name, heard his name so far in our study. We will continue to hear his name. He ruled over Galilee, sort of put in power by the Romans for their uses. The Romans also established taxation for their occupied countries, and they established a certain tax amount for Galilee. That tax was to be paid by various tax collectors to Herod Antipas, who then paid it. To Rome. What Herod Antipas did, prescribed by the Roman law, was sell tax franchises to the highest bidder. So this was common policy. You're following along here, the history, the thought. This was common policy that here's this pagan Antipas. He's the king over this region, put in place by, by the Romans for their purpose, for their use. They had certain laws in effect, these laws he would implement, and so uh, they would pay taxes, he would would auction off, okay, who's going to be my tax? So he'd have different businesses representing, we want to take up that position, and so they would bid in the highest bidder, everyone's going to give the best and most to the government, well, they got the job. So, he says that... um, uh, again, this was, this was uh, how things unfolded in the, in the Roman day. And so he would sell it to the highest bidder. It was a very lucrative business, 
And if you were an unscrupulous person, if you were a crook, if you didn't mind lying, cheating, stealing, and abusing people, you would get in line to get a tax franchise. You also didn't have to take your Jewish heritage very seriously because you would become a traitor of all traitors. Not only because you abused your people, not only because you exhorted money from them, but because you gave that money to Gentiles. I mean, that's unthinkable. Somewhere along the line, Matthew had sold his birthright. He had bartered away his heritage and his reputation and any social place at all and perhaps dishonored his family and anybody and everybody who knew him and sentenced himself to a life of association with thugs and enforcers and other tax collectors by buying a tax franchise. The Roman government would establish an amount at the end of the year to be paid. Anything beyond that the tax gatherer could keep. Matthew was one of those. There were fixed taxes, there were poll taxes, there were duties of all kinds. All of these kinds of taxes left room for larceny and extortion and exploitation. And then, when you couldn't pay your taxes, they became loan agents who would loan you the money at 50% interest. That sounds pretty good for them, huh? Or more. And if you didn't pay, they would send their thugs to break your legs. <laughs> kind of like a, a mafia, <laughs> you know? They could stop people at any point in time. They could search their goods. They could tax their letters. They could tax their produce. They could tax what they bought at the market. They could tax them as export or import. That is moving one thing from here to there. They could do it all arbitrarily and they could enforce it with their thugs who would harm the people who didn't pay. Matthew ran that kind of operation. And obviously the Jews that did this were hated and despised and Matthew was one of them. He extorted, he probably took bribes from rich people, he abused the poor people, and he did it all under Gentile authority. And of course the Jews believed that the only one they ever wanted to pay tribute to was God. So they despised all of this. They were barred these tax collectors. Again, giving you some history of what it was like to be a, a tax collector. They were barred. They were tax gatherers. They were barred from the synagogue. You couldn't go there. Why? Because they were considered unclean. They were classified with unclean animals in the ceremonial law. Classified with Gentiles. They couldn't come into a synagogue or they would desecrate the whole facility to say nothing of contaminating anybody that got close to them. They, were, they weren't allowed in a synagogue. They were forbidden to give testimony in a court of law because they were liars. And the Talmud says, Jewish writing says, you can lie and deceive a tax collector anytime you want. That was one of their codes of conduct that some of those religious Jews taught in their extra writings that... You can lie and deceive a tax collector at any time you want. The rabbis gave the Jews the freedom to do that. It was survival. 
If you could con him, maybe you could get away with something. Wow. Interesting background to who the, the tax collector was. Not a lot changed in 2,000 years. <laughs> Sorry, I should say that. That's ugly. I apologize if there's any tax collectors in our midst or listening via the radio. Please don't audit me. But, again, it gives us a historical, cultural context of what kind of person this was. But we're not done. That's, that's only scratching the surface of these tax collectors. There were actually two types of tax collectors. Two types of tax collectors. In fact, one of them um, was known as the Gabai. Let me give you a name from Scripture that, that, that fits this person. Some of you may already be thinking, who was another tax collector that we know according to Scripture? We old man, we little man was he. <laughs> Climbed up in the sycamore tree, see what he could see? Anyway. Zacchaeus, yes. He was what's known as a Gabai. They were general tax collectors. Land tax, um, property tax, income tax, things like that. Ground tax, uh, you know, that was the crops and the grains. The Gabai was sort of the big-time person who was over all of the taxes. But then there was a second type of tax collector, and these were known as the Mocus. And the Mocus, they dealt with all of the sort of day-to-day things, duties and import and road tax and poll tax and bridge tax and letter tax and package tax, market tax... Tax your axle on your cart. Uh, you got two wheels? We'll tax that too. I mean, there was, you know, they just taxed at will, so to speak. They were the front line men. Now, you were, you were actually, there were, there were two types of mocuses. There's a great mocus and little mocus. The great mocus, you were a great mocus if you employed people and you had a big franchise and you, you put people at your own tax stations you would have been the big mocus on the block. They were usually uh, put on roads. They could stop um, uh, people who were moving around and taxing for everything. You were a great mocus if you had a lot of this kind of operation going on. But you were a little mocus, you were called a little mocus if you actually had to sit at that tax station. And it's one thing for me to own the franchise, right? I have a couple of guys working for me out at the bridges, out on the streets and the roadways. I'm employing them to do my dirty work. It's another thing if you're the guy that's sitting at the table. Hey, where are you going? Come here. What's that you're carrying? Let's see what you got in the bag. That was the little mocus. You were called the little mocus if you just sat at the tax station. And you were hated of all hated people because they saw your face. These were the face-to-face guys. These people were at the bottom rung of the social ladder. The best that could be said about them was that they were just a shade below the prostitutes. That's the way they were deemed. And there are some Jewish writings that say repentance for them was impossible and forgiveness could never happen. They were unforgivable. 
Now you see why I, I, I like MacArthur's writings because that captures a whole new understanding for me. And I don't know about for you, but when I get that history, when I get that understanding of what this society was like, it, it takes me back to that point. And you know what it does for me as a current in my life, age 25, coming to Christ? Gives me hope. Because, I don't know about you, but I felt unreachable. I felt unlovable. I felt I was at the lowest of the lows. In fact, if the prostitutes, tax collectors, Jeremy was probably somewhere right below that. But I see this, and I read this, and I understand this, and I think... You know, again, and I just wonder how many other people are out there listening today, maybe someone here, maybe someone via the radio, who hears this story and we look into the pages of God's Word and now we see why Jesus Christ goes and calls a tax collector by the name of Levi. You know, it's interesting... And in fact, go ahead and turn over to Matthew 9, 9. This, this is recorded also in Mark chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. But go ahead and turn over to, to Matthew 9, 9. Because I thought, you know, hey, this is, this is kind of neat. You know, this is, this is the guy who penned the gospel, Matthew. And this is his story of being called. I wonder what he says about himself. Like, I wonder how God had him write out his own story and his own call here. And... Uh, you notice in, in chapter 9 of Matthew, verse 9, he says, As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a, na- a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, Follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house uh, that, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with them and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You know, if anyone understood mercy, it's Levi. And isn't it interesting? Levi didn't use the name Levi, did he? The other Gospels do. He uses the name Matthew. Matthew. That's his new name. That's his God name, if you will. And I find it encouraging that he wants to be known as Matthew. Those of us who've tasted the mercy of God, the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, We know we're not the same old person we used to be, amen? We got a new name, written in heaven. We're new in Christ. Old things pass away, behold, all things are becoming new. You see this in the life of Matthew. Notice the call back over in, in, in Luke By the way, we know, uh, if you guys were paying attention, we know that Matthew is a little mocus, isn't he? How do we know that? He was sitting. He was sitting. Notice again at the text, whenever Jesus comes, it says that um, 
After these things, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi. By the way, that word saw in the Greek gives us a great indication. You can just imagine, these tax collectors probably didn't look people in the eyes a whole lot because they were liars or cheats. I don't know if you've ever noticed somebody who lies, cheats, you know, has a guilty conscience. They tend to have a tendency to not want to make eye contact. And always some people just have their own personal quirks. But anyway, um, here in this case, there's the indication that Jesus intently sought him, looked at him, locked eyes with him. Not many people probably did that. Looked him in the eyes, looked him in the face. There was something about that stare. There was something about uh, Jesus coming to him, seeing him that was forever different. Notice what happens. He saw Levi sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. Follow me. And notice what it says. He left all. He rose up. By the way, that's an aorist tense. It means imperative. It means immediately. There's some immediacy in this this coming to Christ. And he followed him, which there's an indicative there in the, uh, in the Greek language, which basically indicates that it's a continual. It's a continual act. There's some great truths in those little simple things because, guys, again, we're telling people, come say this prayer, repeat it after me, good, you're saved, go. And they never follow Jesus. There's not a continual act of following. If you're truly born again, there's... You've been given a new heart, a new life, in a sense of a heart for the things of God. There's a desire to want to know Christ in a personal relationship. There's a desire to want to hear from Him. There's a desire to want to follow Him. And that should be a continual. You see, in the sowing of the seed, too often times we get examples of plants that seem like they're going to do well, and they get choked out, they dry up. They don't produce fruit. And I see that in in society today. Those who come to Christ, make a decision for Christ, and there's never any fruit in their life. I would argue that that scriptural parable that Christ gives makes the argument that some of those do not know Christ. You know them by their fruits. And that's why Paul tells us and tells those he's writing to examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. There should be evidence that you are a follower of Christ. You should see fruit that's being birthed in your life. Are you following after him? Levi, he forsook all. He, I mean, here's a man who, and you think about it from his position, you think about... Uh, I heard a pastor... Uh, mentioned this before, he said, you know, the difference between uh, Levi and say someone like Peter, a fisherman, he hangs up his nets, right? Well, he follows Christ. He can always go back to his, to his nets later. He could go back to that career again if things didn't work out as a disciple. He could go back to that. In fact, Peter did, did he not? He went back to fishing. Levi can't go back. When he leaves this lifestyle, he's leaving it. You don't go back to that lifestyle. I left a career choice and I don't go back to that career choice. I can guarantee it. There's a big difference in this follower, this disciple. 
in this sense. He left all. He rose up and he followed him. I wonder how many of us have missed the point of Christ's calling on our life. In this sense, we're not following Him. Many people are okay with repeating a prayer. They're not so big on surrendering their life. That doesn't mean that God's calling everyone into ministry or to be a preacher or a missionary. You hear some people say, well, I'm afraid I don't want to be called off to the other part of the world as a missionary. You know, God needs some people to just simply be surrendered so they can be a good manager down here to plant or, or someone working in a fast food restaurant or somebody being a janitor. God needs some surrendered people in those positions, amen? That may be the call for you. But here's the thing. Follow Him. Rise up. Follow Him. Leave it all behind. Leave that old stuff, those old weights. Hebrews says those sins that so easily beset you so that you can run that race. But too often times, we only want Jesus on our terms. Well, let me go bury my parents first and then I'll follow you. You find these examples in Scripture. Sell all you have and give to the poor and then come follow me. Oh, yeah, I don't know about that one. And yet God puts His finger on your heart and my heart in areas of our life and just simply says, give this area up. I'm not so good with that. Anything but that, Lord. And we have the audacity to call Him Lord. But we're not letting Him be Lord in that area of our life. Now, I assume Levi had probably heard Jesus' teaching. No doubt he had, we know his fame has spread. Luke's already told us this, that his, his name has been spread throughout the land, what he's been doing, how he's been teaching. People know who this is. And so it's highly likely that Levi knew, especially to see this type of response. He left all. He rose up and he followed him. Notice next, we see the company. We see the feast. Verse 29, Then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house, and there was a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. And their scribes and the Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, Who do you eat and drink with? Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? The company. You know, notice this. It's, again, interesting. Levi didn't just throw a party to have a party. Some people say, well, wait a minute, I thought he left everything. Why is he, why is he still hanging out with these old cats? You know? But you better see real carefully here. Don't miss this. Who was the feast for? Look at the text. For Christ, Levi gave him a great feast. Guys, I don't know about you, but I know when when I came to saving knowledge of Christ, my life was radically changed. 
And I was so excited about my relationship with God to know that I was forgiven of my sin. To know that I actually understood my purpose in life now. And, and I, I was telling even in my Sunday school class this morning, uh, I remember sitting down and writing my testimony out. And then photocopying my testimony. And I went through my little black book that I had, you know, up to 25 that, you know, kind of some guys letting me in on the guy secret from those heathens in the up to 25. Kept a little black book with all of these addresses and names of anybody I'd ever known. You guess what I did? I made sure that I sent every single one of them that I had an address for. I sent them my testimony. Because I wanted them to know about this amazing man that had transformed my life and changed my life. The God-man. That this is the meaning of life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by Him. I mean, this is good news. How in the world you would not... And it's not even, I hate even using the illustration to, uh, to even compare because it's not even comparable. But if anyone in this room, though we don't participate in the lottery, if you won the lottery, you would keep that secret. You wouldn't tell anybody. You won Publishers Clearinghouse. Woo! You're going to be like probably excited. Some of you that are real sticking the muds are saying, well, no, I wouldn't because then everyone would be coming to my house and I wouldn't want anybody to know. Come on, guys, play with me for a little bit here. You understand the point I'm making. Something good happens. You don't keep it a secret. You want to tell people. And when Christ got a hold of my life, (laughs) this was the greatest thing ever. I wanted to tell people. So I thought, wow, hey, they can't, you know, they can just crumble up the letter if they don't want to read it. My guess is they probably read it. And in the process, got a gospel witness. You know why Levi's throwing a feast? To honor Christ. To exalt Christ. And so, he did it at his own house, which I think is pretty cool. Which also tells me too, some of that money maybe, I don't know, if he got it through corruption, whatever. The point was, he probably wasn't a poor man, knowing his profession. He was willing to to again take those and, and invest it towards God's glory. And he calls all these sinners and co-workers and everybody because he wants them to hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ. This passage of scripture is one of those passages that's misquoted a lot. The world's favorite verse today, judge not lest ye be judged. You shouldn't judge me, Christian, though that's what I've just done to you. They want to use that out of context. This is another one of those they like to use out of context. Well, Jesus ate with sinners, right? I mean, the Pharisees got... But again, think about what's going on here in the context. Levi's been converted. He's now a follower of Jesus Christ. His life has been transformed and changed. And he is sharing this good news with those other lost sinners that need to hear the gospel message because he wants them to experience what he's experienced. I know what that's like. You know what that's like. You should know what that's like. And so he makes this effort to to reach out, and he invites people to his house to meet Jesus. Now, 
again, some of us, we, you know, people will, will, will kind of try to, to use this passage in a wrong way. Um, and, and I want you to be careful that you don't fall into that trap. Yes, it's true that uh, Jesus joined in this feast. But what was the feast for? And by the way, I don't know about you, but let me give you a modern day illustration. When I got saved, especially early on, I constantly, constantly reached out to my lost friends. Hey, we're going on a whitewater rafting trip. Why don't you come, man? It's going to be great. Hey, we're getting together over to a friend's house tonight. Why don't you come? They didn't want to come. Because the things that were going on at that gathering weren't the things that we used to do at our gatherings. Do you follow me? I can assure you that the normal Levi tax gathering get-together probably had a lot more debauchery than this tax gather get-together had. And by the way, what is a common theme of Jesus when He's speaking to sinners? He never leaves them in their sin. He always calls them to repentance. You think of the woman caught in adultery. Again, a passage that people want to misquote and never finish the context. What did he say to the woman when all was said and done and her accusers had left? Go and sin no more. We've seen it in a healing recently. Go and tell no one unless something worse. You know, Turn from your sin unless something worse. There's always a call to repentance. But yet we live in a day where some people want to paint this picture that Jesus is okay with your sin because He hung out with sinners. No. Jesus hung out with sinners long enough to call them to repentance, and if they didn't repent, they didn't follow Him. They kicked the sand off their shoes and moved to the next town. There's a big difference, guys. There's a big difference. And we have to be careful that we don't buy into the modern mindset and philosophy that as one young lady quoted recently in an article, I love my church because I can have my tequila on Friday and Jesus on Sunday. That's not the Jesus of Scripture. You see, and this is what happens when we water down the gospel and we leave out the call to repentance and following. And that's why we have to examine ourselves and ask, am I following Jesus? Am I really following Jesus? And so we see here in this situation where, and again, I think there's a great emphasis on our recent discussion on why it's important for you and I to go out and reach the sinner. This isn't a synagogue. This is Levi's house. So if we want to be biblical, go throw you a party this Friday night at your house and invite your lost co-workers and invite Jesus to be at the center. In fact, you want to be real biblical, make the feast about Jesus. You guys following what I'm saying here? This is important that we understand this because, well... Man, I need to cut this one off, don't I? All right, let's, let's move on. We'll, we'll move on to we're, to, we're, to we're done, hopefully. All right. The company, the feast he kept is in his own house. Notice how the scribes and the Pharisees complained. Why? You know, why, why are they complaining here? The scribes and the Pharisees, verse 30, complained. 
against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Well, again, these guys were the, the, the dregs of Israel. These were the lowest of the low. And you know what? If you choose to embark on the adventure of following after Christ, and you start to reach out to that co-worker or to that neighbor, you very well may experience the receiving end of this from a so-called fellow church member. Well, you know, I saw Brother So-and-so out at the restaurant the other day, and he was talking to this. I mean, this guy just looked like he was fresh out of the gutter. I don't know what he was doing with that guy. That guy is nothing but a town drunk. I know that guy. I know his reputation. You may end up on the receiving end of that. And that's okay. Because again, is your intent and purpose such as that as Levi? Are you truly trying to reach out to this guy to introduce him to Christ? Then by all means, you do it. And don't worry about the fear of man. Instead, we need to be concerned with the fear of God. You see, the problem is we're not reaching out to the dregs of society. And let me just say this while I'm on the record. Um, I hope and pray that if you, can, if you can encourage the dregs of society to come to Community Baptist Church and they'll come, then invite them. We're going to share the gospel here. Sure we are. Now, is the purpose of the church for them? No. The purpose of the church is for believers to be equipped and edified and go out and reach the lost man, to share the good news with the lost man. But hey, if, if you're not comfortable in communicating that, sure, bring them on. That's fine. Somebody said, you keep feeding sheep food, the goats will eventually leave anyway because they don't want to eat it. And we're going to feed the sheep. So, the scribes and the Pharisees, they complained... What in the world is Jesus doing with these people? With the tax collectors and sinners? Now notice verse 31. And I love this verse. I, I hope I hadn't got this wrong, but boy, I don't see any other way of... Well, I'll, I'll share a couple of opportun, uh, uh, options here in this. Notice verse 31. Jesus answered and said to them... Again, you got these guys, you know, giving him an earful. And notice what he says. Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well... Have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You know why I think I like that one? I, I, I don't know if any of you have picked up on this. It's, it, 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 I have been known to be a bit sarcastic at times. I'm just saying, I'm being honest. I think there's some sarcasm here. So, well, wait a minute now, preacher. Jesus wasn't sarcastic. I think Jesus did use sarcasm, a form, in teaching quite often. How else am I going to see this? Who's he talking to? We've all heard it taught that he's, he's referencing the Pharisee because they think they're righteous. They think they're holy. I didn't come to call you. I've come to call the sick. In other words, people that know they're sick they know they need a physician. If you think you're well, you don't think you need a doctor. You don't just say, hey, 
I'm feeling good today. Man, I could run a marathon. I think I'm going to go see the doctor. No. But man, if you're sick, if you're like every good man in here, you won't go, but your wife will make you. <laughs> but you know what? We, we, Jesus is making this point, and he's talking to the Pharisees and the scribes. He's answering them. I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to call the sick. I, I, you know. Now, is it possible? There is a possibility. There is this other possibility. Maybe that doesn't bode well for you. And, 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 you know, but, but, but again, who's he referencing? Now, it's possible he is referencing that because he's not in a synagogue, he's at someone's house, and there is all these Pharisees uh, that have come out to see what's going on, and there are these tax collectors and sinners... It's possible that Jesus is referencing maybe perhaps those that are in right standing with God. They're okay. So he's not calling them because they're okay. If they're in right standing with God, they're okay. And so therefore he's just reaching out to, to the sick. But I don't, think that's, I don't think that fits the context. I think in the context, he, he is letting these Pharisees know they don't have a clue. They're self-righteous, and I, 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 you know, if you've got another thought there, please, by all means, see me, and I'll try not to be sarcastic. But anyway, his mission is to call sinners to repentance. Repentance is at the heart of the gospel. And the last point is the confrontation. Notice the fight. Notice how it closes. And he says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Folks, we are sick. The point Jesus is making, and we know this throughout Scripture, there is none righteous, no, not one. There's none righteous. So when Jesus makes the comment, I didn't come to call the righteous, well, there is none. In spite of what those Pharisees and scribes thought, there is none who are righteous. Jesus is there to reach out to the sick, to call them to repentance and to call them to follow Him. And that is the same message that you and I need to be sharing with the lost and dying world. And some will get it and some won't. And some religious won't like the fact that you're reaching out to people that aren't quite like what they think you should be reaching out to, and that's okay. Because you don't answer to them. You share the gospel of Jesus Christ to a sick and dying world. And that includes everyone. Because we all have the same disease. It's death. Conclusion. Finishing thought. What's Jesus asking you? To lay down. What's he asking you to rise up? To forsake? What is he asking you to do in the way of following him? You know, repentance is, is a change of minus agreeing with God. It's a change in direction that results in a, it's a change of heart. 
It's a change of life. And I believe Jesus Christ is still calling people to rise up and follow Him. And church, that's, that's the application I get from... Well, there's many, but that's one of the ones that, that hits home for me in this text. It's just as Levi, this wicked sinner, the lowest of the lows, not even allowed into the synagogues, the unclean of the unclean, Jesus went to him. And he called him to rise up and follow him. And you and I had better be reaching out to the lowest of lows, to every lost man, no matter where they are on the totem pole, socially speaking, and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And that is to be done out there in the hedges and the highways, compelling them to come in. But we've got to do it. That's our mission. And we had better be sure, Christian, that we are heeding the call that Christ has given us in our life. And for some of us, it means it's time to let go of the old way of doing things. The old way in our personal life that we're wanting to hold on to, that Jesus is putting His finger on and says, I want you to surrender that and follow me. And if we're following Him, then that means we go where He goes. Now, in the New Testament believers, where we go, He goes. So we better be making sure that our instructions and our marching orders are according to His steps. How are you doing, church? Christian? How are we doing? Are we following after Him? Let's pray. Father, thank You for the time this morning. Thank You for this church family. Lord, I pray that You um, help us to see in this example, this true life account of when you called Matthew, when you called Levi, when you called him, Lord, he knew. He understood. He he needed grace. He was an outcast of the outcast. He didn't think anyone loved him. I'm sure many times his his decision to pursue the life that he was involved in wore on him and was wearisome and probably felt alone and probably felt that no one genuinely cared. And then along came Christ. And to think that Almighty God incarnate would look him right in the face and would actually care enough to call Him, to ask Him to come follow Him. And yet, Lord, I know many of us probably feel the same way. Why would a loving God reach down to where I am? I'm a sinner. I've sinned, I've I've gone astray, and yet God loves me enough to call me to repentance, to offer the grace that's needed, the forgiveness that's needed, 
that I might be made whole. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here, maybe conviction of the Holy Spirit is, is pricking their heart in regards to sin. Lord, would you draw them to you, to yourself, to a point of repentance? And Lord, give us the grace that's needed to follow after you. Lay down the old life. Take on the new. You've made that possible through the life, through the death and the burial and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And His grace is sufficient. And His love is greater than any sin. And in this example, He shows and and proves to us that no matter where we are, where we think we are, His arm, His reach is not shortened. His love reaches to the lowest of lows. And for that we say thank you. Father, if there's anyone here that needs that saving grace, Lord, I pray that today, in this quiet time with you, they would turn from their sin, confess their sin, and call upon the only name by which they can be saved. The name of Jesus Christ our Lord. By faith, receive Him today. And Christian, maybe there's, a, maybe there's an area, maybe there's a closet, maybe there's a room in your life that needs cleaning. Confess. Turn to Him. Repent of the sin. And by His grace, may He lead you, may you walk with Him down the road He has for you. Father, thank You. Thank You for Your Son. Thank You for the Holy Spirit of God. And thank You for Your church. May we go from here commissioned to carry out the true gospel mission. Calling people to repentance and faith in Your Son, Jesus Christ. We'll ask it in His name. Amen.